Thanks, everyone, for coming out for the podcast and set. Um, my guest this week is Mr. David Escobedo. Hello. <laughs> Apparently, you brought some friends. <laughs> They're all amazing people. Like, I love all of them individually. They're amazing. Uh, now, we just met for the first time outside, right? That's correct. Yeah, we were talking comic book movies. Yes. <laughs> yes, we were. Uh, and prior to that, we were talking a little bit about, about improv. What I found very interesting, we could sh- share that story again. Uh, you started your own improv troupe right out of high school back in 95. Correct. Right. Correct. I, I, I tell you how old I am, too. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I turned 40 this year. I'm 51. So. Okay. I'll catch so, up. So, so, so hang on to 40. <laughs> <laughs> the day after I turned 40, I threw my back out taking a dump. <laughs> So, so watch out in there. It's a dangerous place. Uh, but I, I thought that was just so cool. Uh, that's such a unique, because there's so many people I talk to in stories, but you know, they went to here, they went to this person, they went to that place. And you're just like right out of high school, like, no, I'm just going to start my own troupe. Yeah. And we're just going to start doing shows around town. Yeah, no classes, no books to read or anything. Actually, I called us the orphans because I felt like we had no forefathers at that time, but there was no one to teach us. And um, I still keep in contact with many people from that very initial troupe in 1995, like Mary Wagner, Josh Fleming, uh, Cody Wright. Like, I still talk to him a lot. And we, I, not only did I have to learn improv, I had to teach others how to do improv as I was learning improv. Right. Uh, that's, that's so cool. And you were also saying, I thought it was very interesting, this was in San Diego, correct? Yeah, it's North County San Diego. Not downtown <coughs> San Diego, but like a right. bunch of avocado fields and cow farms and everything. We used to have pheasants. There was a guy, I was just telling this story recently, there was a guy that used to have an elephant in his yard. And I was young and I didn't think it was anything weird because it's just like, that's the guy with the elephant in his yard. But now that I'm older, it's like, holy no, shit. Yeah. <laughs> and I would drive by it and you'd see the elephant outside. It was a rescue from a circus and he had a huge property. So he just kind of let the elephant live out its remaining years on his property. But, that would um, be so cool. Yeah. As a Unless kid, that elephant lost its shit, then that would be the most uncool thing Probably throw out its world. back, right? Well, I, I'm just thinking, <laughs> well, the, the first thing I would think is, like, oh, it's an elephant. He's a rescue, so it's like a rescue dog. He's going to love me for loving him. But then part of me thinks, like, what if that elephant has, like, a bad moment? Like, it told, take out kind of, everybody. Some kind of flashback to, to the hook. <laughs> And this is, fuck this guy. Because uh, I don't think anyone can take an elephant. <laughs> I don't know. We, I mean, there's, yeah, I guess not. We can't really take an elephant one-on-one, but if you're talking about a bunch of, like, a hard-working Mexicans, we probably could take them down, turn, it, <laughs> turn them into a couple burritos or something. Uh. <laughs> I'm just going to let that one sit there for a minute. Uh, it's funny. Hold on a second. It's funny because we used to measure pets and how many burritos. Like, oh, you, if it's a big dog, you're like, oh, you probably could get like 30 burritos out of that dog. Or if it's a tiny little cat, like, oh, you probably could get half a burrito of that cat. I bet an elephant's like 50 to 60 burritos of the good meat. Like the belly cut like in a fish. All right. I'm pretty sure you get more than 50 burritos out of an elephant. <laughs> Because otherwise, an, an elephant would weigh me at like 100 pounds. Yeah, a lot of skin. Uh, <laughs> so this definitely is not downtown San Diego. No. Uh, but what, you, what you're talking about, which I found very cool, was that the community was very supportive uh, of a bunch of high school kids putting together their own troupe. And, and, and they'd let you play in like the local coffee shops or That's whatever. correct. It's called the Metaphor Cafe and we used to just perform there and we'd get like houses of 30 to 40 people because there wasn't a lot of stuff to do down there. It did not have its own theater program or anything so it was one of the few things to do for free. We would charge nobody. Just show up. We wanted an audience. And at that point in 1995, we talked about this a little bit too, improv was so new that like the, the concept of being able to interact with the people on stage was mind-blowing. Right. Mind-blowing. So that we just, and also people like supporting high schoolers more than they will support like a bunch of adults performing at a coffee shop. Right. Uh, I was just thinking you're probably, it sounds like you're a bit out there as far as like not near the city. Correct. Correct. Because right? uh, that's 
prop that probably helped too. Yeah. Uh, I remember this. Oh, I haven't thought of this in a while. Uh, I remember I traveled. I was in, I was doing a show in Philly. I used to go up to to New York to teach workshops, mm-hmm. and I remember some group of kids hired me to drive up to like Northern Jersey on the dead of winter to teach like a workshop for 300 bucks. And I was like, all right, I'll drive up. Uh, and the little, little, like the town was like the size of like two blocks. Yeah. Right. Uh, and these kids, these were the kids like right out of high school. Right. Uh, who were just the Kings of this town. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, they had, for their rehearsal, they had groupies hanging outside their rehearsal. rehearsal. Wow. And like on the weekend, they'd rent like a huge 200-seat theater, fill it, and do what I can only imagine based on working with them, some of the worst improv <laughs> you've ever seen. Uh, Short form, I see. God bless them. No, I have, I have no idea. I, <laughs> Formless they, improv. They, well, they wanted to learn the Herald. That's why they had me. me they had they, had, they had me go up there, and I was working with them. And I was like, "You guys have no idea what long form is at all." Really, I, I was spending three hours trying to teach them how to do an opening uh-huh. to a Herald, uh, and they weren't really going great with that. Uh, but I was thinking, you know what, guys? Whatever you're doing, <laughs> just keep fucking doing it because. And but but by by the way, never ever leave yeah. this place. Because <laughs> uh, right now you are the kings of this town. Yeah. And believe me, if you take this dog shit anywhere else, <laughs> that's gonna be one sad night for you. Yeah. Uh, but I always thought about that. You, you you go out somewhere, be a big fish in a small pond. Right. Uh, which I think would be sad for me now. But I look back and like, yeah, but if I was like 18 and the, like, like coming right out of high school and to go somewhere where you had community support, because uh, that also, having that sort of support is so great, especially initially in improv. Especially initially, yeah. Because uh, there's so often, like I think a lot of people who come to improv in like a larger city, like you know, LA, Chicago, New York, it's like it's hard to get support. Yeah, you get like four or five people. My wife comes to everything I've ever done, and she might be half the audience. Right. Yeah. And you better thank her for yeah. coming. <laughs> thank you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because that's got to be a great way to 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 start. Uh, I think that that's a gr- like it reminds me of the Bill Binder story, who just Bill Binder went off and like did his own thing uh-huh. instead of going to him. He purposely went out and started his own thing down in Phoenix to, to discover improv rather than learn it. Right. At the Torch Theater, this is before. I think this, I, I, don't, I don't remember the exact timeline, but that was, the, that was the gist of it. And your thing is similar. Just like what you said out of high school, like, no, I could teach or go to these, I could go to these places or whatever, but no, I'm just going to, no, I'm just going to start. Well, when I started, there were no classes to take. Like there, in downtown San Diego, you could take classes, but they had these theories of like, if it's not funny, it's dramatic. And I like, no, no, if it's not funny, it can be bad. You know, so that for oh. them, there's no eight way to fail. So I'm like, that, I don't want to do that. Oh, that was the whole, like, <laughs> that always cracked me up, like, the, the idea. I get the idea of it. Like, the, when someone says there are no bad scenes or right. just opportunities. Uh, and I get the, the idea of that. It, it's a teaching lesson. Right. Right. But being a logical person, I can't help but then say, what are shitty shows made up of? <laughs> just a bunch of great opportunities? And I- <laughs> Uh, and as an, as an artist, I think it's important to fail. I think it's important to have the ability to fail, because otherwise you'll never improve. Oh, yeah. There's, there's no b- better teacher than failure. Yeah. Uh, and one of the built-in beauties of improv is the freedom to fail. Uh, if you're, to me, if you're not failing, you're not trying. Yeah. Because uh, I almost, I, in a way, I, I look to fail every time I perform. Like, what's the thing I'm going to do that, that's fucked up, that's wrong, that's going to tell me something again? Rather than it's like, well, here's the shit I know works. So am I allowed to ask you questions, like, in this interview? Can I? Sure. Okay. We're just talking, man. Okay, cool. And just talking, like, we honestly, I studied you in college. Like, we used to talk about you. I went to Cal State Long Beach, and you were, we that's, talked about you. That's little. weird. That you <laughs> <someone say> that. <laughs> um, and I think a lot of times when you talk to people that have had so much success, you identify them with the successes they've had. But, like, we just talked about failure, and I think it's good for people that are just starting their journey or whatever to hear 
people's failures. And so my question to you is like, what's one of your biggest failures that you learned from? Like, that you failed up kind of thing. Have you followed my career? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we were like, list my successes. (laughs) I'm Uh, on your podcast. (laughs) You're not on my podcast. (laughs) No, no. No, it's me. It's like, uh, I think one of my primary regrets as a performer uh, was like, I was on a team called The Family that was filled with exceptional people. And at a time in Chicago where what they were doing was t- taking the improv skill that we had, that we had you know, developed with Dell and turning it into product that they could sell sure. and showcase. And I basically said, no, I'm just going to be a purist. I'm just going to be an improviser and create no product. Uh, because it pays nothing. <laughs> exactly. Uh, my, I think I think my dream back. I was I I wanted to be the first person to go straight from, you know, just improv to success. Uh, yeah. You know, catch some kind of break or something, and it just never happened. And I should have been turning. I should have been creating product. Really? Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. There's no reason that any improviser shouldn't also be writing. Uh, what I used to think was, yeah, but I'm focusing on my improv and all that. Like, really? Are you really focusing on your improv? How many hours a day are you focusing on your improv? That's you a know, very good question. You know, yeah. Yeah. By the way, sit down and just <clears throat> write some shit. I have 30 years worth of ideas that never got written down. But product is not just writing. It can also be like classes or, right? Or I'm, I'm kind of asking that. Uh, well, to me, like, I'm, I'm very proud of the ability to teach that I've developed. Right. Uh, cause that, you know. Is its own craft, mm-hmm. uh, but I sh- I should have been also just writing sketches, writing pilots, writing writing down wh- whatever ideas I had. Mm-hmm. I, I should have a trunk full of ideas, uh, and there's no reason that any performer, any artist, shouldn't be doing that. Uh, look to because and to me, you're like yeah, you do that. You, t- you, know, you 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 turn over in bed. You're still a fucking improviser. Yeah. Right. It doesn't. Cha- it actually adds to to you. It doesn't take from you. It adds to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I st- we definitely stress that here at the pack. Like even people who come in just want to improvise. I'm like, are right, you want to improvise? Great. Also write. Okay. You know, start writing because uh, there's no reason you shouldn't. Uh, it helps because really writing is just another kind of improvising. You just all right. Well, this guy says this. Well, what does the other guy say? Well, he says this. Really, when a girl walks in, what does she say? Well, she'd probably say this. Uh-huh. Look at me, I'm writing. <laughs> uh, <coughs> and everyone says this. <laughs> this, this, this. That's three lines of dialogue. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that's my primary regret over the years. As far as failing, I, like, I, again, the ongoing, what I always loved about improv is you, you fail every time you play. Uh-huh. Uh, I've done shows that were some of the best you know, work uh, in long form that I think has been, right? Uh, and in those shows, I failed, mm-hmm. and people failed. Uh, they might not see it like that, but to me, the failing, the failing is not a bad thing. No, it's I don't like, think no, so. There's no show you can't, you don't come off stage and think back on, could have done this? What about this? Oh, we forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, you could always have done something, and I'm glad that it's that infinite. Uh, I would hate... If, if, if I could just do the perfect show every time... You'd be done. I'd be done. Right. I'd stop. I'd be like, this is boring as shit out of me. Uh-huh. Uh, no, there's got to be that risk. There's got to be that, what, what might happen next? I think the big challenge right now with a lot of improv troops is how do you... Kind of like what you're saying with the brand is how do you rise above the noise? There's so many improv troops out there right now. How do you make your product stand out, which is a lot of branding? You have a lot of improv troops that take the stage and they have a lot of energy and they clap at the audience. Okay, we're ready for, th- and like, and, but they don't have that, that, not gimmick, but they don't have that identity that makes them rise above other improv troops that they're quote-unquote competing against for audiences. So I think that their product can be themselves and their improv troop, and they have to invest in it. I think, well, there's, there are different things to what you're talking about. As far as like, like branding, branding is definitely a, th- a thing, mm-hmm. uh, something I am not good at. No. Uh, I'm the worst. I'm the worst salesman of my own work or this work in general in the world. Uh, as far as like, I, I don't sell it to people well. Uh, I've had other people like this theater exists because a lot of other good, smart people did things like we should re- we should brand it, we should rebrand it, we should do this and this and this. Does that give you like a disgusting feeling inside when people say we should brand your work? 
Uh, no, because I'm no. just like, I don't give a shit what you call it. It's still <laughs> my work. Uh, but if you can get more people to pay for it, great. Because uh-huh. uh, <clears throat> that's, that's, I mean, there's an art to that. Oh, I totally agree uh, So th- there is that side of it. But more toward the little, the little thing that slid into what you said, which to me is where people really need to put their focus, is in recognizing what makes that team unique. Yes, I totally agree. Uh, now, back in the day, it was like you come up with a new form. Yeah. Right? That's and that still do. happens. I hear people like workshopping forms all the time. Right? And unfortunately, I would say most of the time, uh, that form that they're workshopping or coming up with has been done. Right. They or it's too cerebral. It. Or what? it's too cerebral and it's improv for improvers. So you're not appealing to a wider audience. Right. But, but what I'm saying is like they're trying to. F- the best improvisers that I know of that I like to watch are people. Right? Right. They're individuals I like to watch because they're definitely a, a fucking clear person. And when you watch them, you see them. Uh, what improvisers don't realize, and it's the sort of lesson you try and teach, is the value of you. Like, what your perspective of the world is, is just as valid, just as unique as anyone else's in the world. Mm-hmm. But really owning that, like, right down to what is my perspective of the world? Right? Who exactly am I? I mean, improvisation, I've always said, is the exploration of ourselves, and it's also it's the exploration of everything through our own perspective. That's all we have is our perspective. But that's like the most unique thing we have. Uh, and people are trying to improvise, like they're trying to be something that they're not, sure. rather than really pushing who but, they already are. But then don't you play characters on stage, and I come in? And- sure, but it's who... Like, like if I were to play... Uh, a like an like an, an Asian woman working in a a a, 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 a laundromat, right? right? So I'm playing right. a stereotypical because I, I I I've done that and it's terrible. Okay. Right. Well, just because I'm so terrible at it, I can't do an accent. Like it just it winds up sounding awful. Uh, but to me, I'm just like, well, here's if what that tells me is, you know what? That part of you is a little bit racist. <laughs> Right? Sure, sure. Because I'm just like, why are you, why, why are you bringing this in here? It's so, too, too dirty. Too dirty. I can't, can't, can't clean. <laughs> right? No. That is, a, that is a really, that's like, it's like, okay, well, and you know, the fact is, I've heard that voice. Sure. Right? Uh, and it's like, yeah, well, there's my perspective. You know what? My perspective's a little fucking off because in doing that, it's like, it's like, to me, comically, I have to have the freedom to do that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I have to respect that that's not all Asian women, right? right. And it's not, certainly, I don't think that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the ability to fail. But well, yeah, well, it's, it's the ability to fail. It's the ability to explore yourself. Yeah, it's and like, you fail when you explore yeah, yourself. Well, sometimes you do something on stage and you realize, oh, wait a minute. And we'll I, do it tonight. <laughs> I'm a little wrong. <laughs> yeah. Like, personally, there's something in my personal opinions that is a little fucking wrong. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's, sometimes it's cool to learn that. Sometimes it's like, oh, fuck. I better knock that shit off. Right. Uh, so my wife and I like to travel a lot. And what you're talking about is why we like to travel. Like, we went around the world. We, hit, we went to every Disney park around the world. We went to Florida, Paris, Hong Kong, Shanghai, Tokyo. And one of the reasons that I really enjoy traveling, my wife is wonderful to travel with. <laughs> we went all around the world to Disneyland. Yes. <laughs> all right. Because, to bring it back to something we mentioned earlier, the reason I was really curious is Disneyland is a brand. It has a specific identity to it. There are Disney elements. Like, if I said that shirt is very Disney, think colorful, like you have a specific brand in mind. But in order for that brand to be successful across different cultures, different cultures have different definition of what fun is. For example, the Haunted Mansion that we have here is about ghosts and Night Night Happy Haunts. And in Hong Kong, there's no such thing as ghosts. There's no such thing as haunts. Because the people that have passed on are your ancestors. So there's no reason for them to haunt you. Right. So their haunted mansions called the Mystic Manor, and stuff just comes to life. And there's no mention of ghosts anywhere. Mm-hmm. And then you go to France, and France is fucked up. <laughs> because they have, like, charred bodies chasing after you. And you're like, this is not for kids. You're like, oh, shit. Awesome, though. Awesome. But that's, but that's how it had to adapt to the culture it's in. Well, it's com- comedy is absolutely cultural. Yeah. Right? I mean, I, got, I always thought, like, for, for my thinking, like, if, if I were to play, like, a valley girl. Okay. <laughs> uh, like, oh, my God, I can't believe she said that. Like, if, 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 if I'm doing that on stage in, say, you know, Arabia, 
right? I just imagine the audience would be like, why isn't that girl dead? <laughs> why, why you get a bunch of different things Why is there. she talking so much? No, I'm not, hey, not going to feel bad about punching down to what's going on in Saudi Arabia. Uh, there's more human rights violations there than almost anywhere else in the Middle East. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, but yeah, comedy it, is cultural. It's cultural. Yeah. Uh, that's a pretty severe example. I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> but, but to bring it back to the travel, like that's why we like to travel. You're talking about exploring yourself and being able to fail on stage. And all kind of, because when you're the only common denominator in every country you go to, you find out who you are. You find out things that you don't like. You find out things that you do like. Like in Japan, some things are amazing. The toilet seat warms up. It shoots a little water into your anus. You're like, yeah, this is awesome. Okay? I still don't. It's like a, a bidet, right? Kind of, yeah. Kind of. And you can How adjust exactly the pressure. How exactly do you use a bidet? bidet? I've never been on a bidet. I don't know if these are bidets, but there's a little like measure that you can actually adjust the distance. <laughs> From like your chotal area to the right. back area, and then also like the pressure. So like, have you ever used a bidet? If that's a bidet. Is that a bidet? No. It's a bidet. No. I think it's a bidet. But, I've never used a bidet, but I'm always just like, is that is that supposed to go up in you, or is it no, just it's supposed just to delicately dance on the rim? Just dance on the rim, but that doesn't really get shit done. It does. You realize it does. It does. It gets yeah. So that's one thing about Japan that's amazing. But then there's stuff where you're like, wow, that doesn't make sense. Like there's no lines. People just kind of circle around. Everyone's dressed the same because there's a Japanese saying that the nail that sticks out gets hit hardest with the hammer. So no one wants to be an individual. So it's so different. And, and so we learn when we travel, like, what aspects of our culture do we like and what aspects of ourself do we like and do we want to retain? What I think is at the core of a lot of improv for me uh, is sort of a thing that is kind of opposite of what you're saying. Okay. I agree with everything you're saying uh -huh. about all the differences in the cultures and how, how those specifics can color uh, the comedy and, the, and, and what is perceived as, as comedy. But what I also love is the commonality of, say, myths. Oh, uh, shut up. Yeah. Talk about legends and myths. Like well, I'm just like, the, 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 there's always the love story. There's always, yes. the, there's always the same basic stories that are so inherent to the human condition sure. that they, they occurred everywhere in the world without them knowing about each other. Yes, yes, I love that. Like I went to New Zealand and went with the Maori people and Costa Rica and like I love hearing the stories of indigenous people because they all have a creation story and they're very similar even though they've never communicated with each other. And I, I love hearing those stories. I remember I was reading, I forget, I was doing some college paper or something and I remember reading about the Tongan the Tongan, Tongans? The Tongan, Tonga? yeah. The, they had some crazy stories. It's like there was like there was a, a whale god, I think, who was made out of human feces. Nice. Uh, nice. And I forget, I, I forget the rest of that story. <laughs> you kind of peeked at the front. And I, then... <laughs> I, I'm just like, really? Your god is made out of your poop. Uh... But I was like, okay, that's just, I mean, that was a crazy story. I don't think that's like a story that exhibits commonality. Okay. I thought it was just one of those yeah. crazy, this is, a, this is a crazy fucking story. Everyone's got the uh, shit God story, right? It was right? also like, a, a similar, I think it was like the, the universe is created through by something like 43 a, events of cosmic ejaculation. <laughs> oh uh, it's like, okay. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what's going on over there. Yeah. I don't know what they're smoking, but I want some. Um, <laughs> But yeah, there's a lot of commonalities in all the. No, myths yeah, but the, this, it's like to me, it's the things that like in, in, like in scene work. Uh, it's like, what's the thing that your character is, is at their core? Uh, classically, the, 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 the small example: uh, a, a husband and wife are arguing about a sock being left on the sofa. Okay. Are they arguing about a sock? No, being left on there's the like sofa? a larger history. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's sort of that's like a common truth. Yeah. Like everybody knows that. Uh, I think the mistake a player makes is not is they they focus on the sock right and not realizing that wait a minute there's something else going on here which I think is really the success of Pixar Pixar like in their their openings will have no words sometimes like in the movie Up or in Finding Nemo no words and through all these images I'm bawling I'm crying you know I don't know if you've seen Up but they they want to have a kid and they meet I've kids like, I've seen Up oh my gosh <laughs> and it's just like with all these images and music. They don't need words, and they tell a story that gets me emotional. I love that. I really love that. 
It's funny, like almost every one of those, because I have to see all the movies, right? Because you have kids. You have kids? I do not have kids. I just act like one. You know, you have kids, you get to see every Disney movie and Pixar movie that's ever been made. Love it. Uh, It's funny, like every one of them makes you cry. Yeah. At some point or another, it's like, all right, here it comes. (laughs) Even like Tinkerbell 5 and her friends. Damn, now I'm crying. (laughs) Oh, sure. Like the sequels, like Aladdin 7 or whatever it is. Some of them Tinkerbell sequels were pretty fucking phoned in. (laughs) (laughs) I am surprised. I am shocked about that. Uh, (laughs) That's where where I'll get picky. (laughs) It's funny because you and I were talking outside about the Marvel versus DC. DC movies. Now yeah. Marvel's just destroying DC yeah. and that. Uh, I was also saying how, like, I'm an easy audience as far as that stuff. But not for Tinkerbell. You have standards. Generally, but not, got, fuck, that's Tinkerbell, man. Yeah. <laughs> Why is she always fucking up? <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's like, how long do you got to be a fucking fairy if to know, watch, mo- don't stop fucking with the humans? So we were talking about this, and Peter, uh, Disney, like, I love old Disney, and if you watch the original Peter Pan, she, like, tries to kill people, like, Tinkerbell is kind of jacked up as a human being. Like, she, but I love that. Like, I love that dark, like, oh, did you just see that? You know, as kids, we saw that. You know, we saw, like, the like um, Fantasia when Satan, uh, Night on Bald Mountain, Satan comes over the town and is destroying it with demons. And you're like, yeah, awesome. I love stuff like that. <laughs> I totally love that. Uh, all right. Any, any questions out there for David? <laughs> any questions for me? Who's your favorite DC fan? Uh, my favorite DC hero is very tough because I'm a huge Marvel fan. I grew up with X-Men and I grew up with Incredible Hulk. It was one of my favorites too. Um, but DC, you know what? DC is like the flaw of Batman and Spider-Man are similar because those characters are okay, but all the bad guys are awesome. So for me, DC bad guys are like the best, especially Batman bad guys. Like a calendar man, like especially with the video games that came up, Arkham Asylum and everything, their concept art is phenomenal. I love it. So yeah. Right there. Which X-Man character do you empathize with the most? <laughs> <laughs> which, which, which character? Like, which X-Man character do you empathize with the most? Uh, like, I ha- if you were this X-Man character in real life, you would be that person. I have to say Colossus, if you're familiar with X-Men. Like, Colossus is this big guy. Mm. He turns into metal, and he's their powerhouse. But then away from the fights, he's actually the poet and artist. He paints. And eventually, he has a hard time with fighting, and he just becomes a teacher. But he's like their big metal guy that like is at the forefront and he takes all the damage. And he's like, I just, I just want to be a poet. That's all I want to be. That's the guy who I identify with the most. Because I'm a big guy. I used to play rugby, so I used to, you know, that's who I identify with. I, 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 I would, I would, I would say the most powerful one. Yeah. <laughs> that's who no, you identify no, with. The no, most? no, that's like I, 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 who do you identify with? I don't think I. I, I it's weird to say I identify with any of them. I just, like I the ones I like. Maybe it's the ones you like because you identify them, but you like them. True. Like, who doesn't like Wolverine? He's just fucking awesome. <laughs> Professor Xavier. He's the most powerful, probably. He is probably the most powerful. Or Phoenix. I don't know how deep you want oh, to get in the Oh, Phoenix! Jesus! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love, I, basically, I, I love how it's just like, I'm, I'm just Jean Grey. Everyone be cool, all right? Until the end of the movie, are you really pissing me off? Yeah. Then fuck you. Here's the Phoenix. And just... Everything dies. Yeah. Uh, everything. Apocalypse. I want that explained more. <laughs> oh, like, it's an interesting character, Phoenix, and how she recreates herself. Awesome. I remember, like, she, she kind of died at the end of that one X-Men, right? Yeah. But, but, then, the but then she wasn't dead. No. Because it's like a Phoenix. She rises she from the ra- ashes. She rises from the ashes. It's like, yeah, she, yeah, she's just fucking cool. I don't know how nerdy you want to get. In the Marvel <laughs> Universe, she's considered, like, one of the top five most powerful entities in the universe. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Wow, I didn't Over, know like, that. Eternity, I, like, like, death. Like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not th- like that deep into it. <laughs> I'm like blown away by certain shit. But I remember like, uh, the Living Tribunal. Yes, yeah. interesting character. The faces that change. Yeah, the little, yeah. That was at the. I mean, because I had that comic book. Mm-hmm. I remember him and the Living Embodiment of the Universe. Yes, I have a couple of people that are nerding out in the audience with me right now. <laughs> They're like, yes, uh, I get that. I totally get that. <laughs> I was like, that was so cool. Yeah. Uh, we had another question right here. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, I want to know what do you want to do in the future with your improv? What do you, how do you think oh, you're going to? That's, that's such an amazing question. <laughs> I would say, and this is honestly where I'm at with my improv. There's two things I want to do. First of all, I want to start touring with some of my improv troops. I have two improv troops right now. I'm in the midst of kind of starting a third one. And 
we were talking earlier about being a big fish in a small pond, and I, I'm someone that has this flower. I don't like to be a big fish in a small pond. Once I'm big, I move on to the next pond. And it is a flaw, because that means I'm constantly in a state of struggling. I'm constantly in a state of, like, of, of competing with bigger fish, and then I judge myself on these bigger and bigger fish because I keep on moving areas. Um, so like I, right now I'm with Spectacles a lot, but I want to get my teams to, we, we've just uh, submitted to the Out of Bounds Festival in Austin. We just submitted to um, the Third Coast in Nashville. And so I want to start traveling because I think with the internet, with the improv community, like this huge country is starting to become such a tight-knit community that I want our, us to get out there more. So that's one goal. The other goal is, is, and I know this sounds very altruistic, but it's totally true. I want to get my wife into improv because because she's good at it. She makes me laugh all the time. She totally cracks me up. She does this thing with her cats where she'll boop their nose and she's like, boop. And then I'll be like, we'll be in bed. And I just feel the finger go, boop. And it has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> now that she just boop, like, and then like she'll like play with my head, which is like a very, you know. It sounds like abuse. <laughs> it's a very, all five of your senses are housed in your face. And she'll like start doing this, like shaking my head back and forth. And I'm like, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm going to the beat. No music. She just, she kills me. And it's all laugh till I cry. But also, because improv teaches you not just like how to perform, but there's a lot of philosophies that are very valuable in that. Don't, don't critique yourself. Follow your instincts. Listen to your partner. Only being a brick. Like, all those things are not just good in scenes, but they're also just really good philosophies in life when communicating, which is really sad because right now I find myself in a more corporate area, and those philosophies are actually kind of flaws in a corporate area. You don't want to show any weaknesses in the corporate area. You don't want to throw out a lot of new ideas because someone can judge them as failure. Every failure in the corporate area, depending on the atmosphere, can be used against you. But in life, the way that we interact with each other is so valuable with, through improv philosophies. And listening, like listening is really important. Just not to what people say, because like another thing is words are the first thing to lie, but like the connection you're making with people. So I want to get my wife into improv because I think she would love it. Well, I think that's a great place to leave it. Let's do a set. <laughs> Dude. Just what you don't need to go out complaining. I understand. 
stretch up with cables on? Trucks. <laughs> I don't know that song. <laughs> <laughs> Trucking 
that's your diet. A lot of that's because you just eat junk food and you have that like really sweet, like you could have just taken a shower and like an hour later you just have that sweet, tangy smell. <laughs> what the hell are you doing? <laughs> like that's the way it hits me, that little tangy smell. Are you tucking your teeth together? What are you doing? I'm, I'm kind of sucking my teeth. It's, but like, right. that's like, like the physical reaction to that sweet, sweet smell. Sounds like you're trying to taste me. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of taste it. Look, it's about diet. You just eat. Look, I don't stink right now. No, right? you don't, actually. You smell great. You smell great. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> no. It's a fabric softener or something. No, it's me. <laughs> you smell like fabric softener, then. Yeah. All right. You actually do. Get your fucking nose off. <laughs> you actually do smell nice. Don't surprise that I, I smell told nice. you that sometimes you smell. I just bathed. I just bathed and put clothes on. Thank you. Fresh clothes. I know I'm going to go to Vegas and just wreck myself. So. <laughs> I know, I'm just saying that you smell good. And sometimes you don't smell the best. That smell. That tangy. Alright, you know what? Hmm? Fuck you. Fuck you too. Because I, I don't care how I smell. You're not going to try and take that from me either. I, I, you don't, I don't dictate what smells good. I don't smell bad to me ever. No. <laughs> you know, I heard the study on internet on internet on the internet that we like our own smell. Like for some reason, it's very familiar to us, so we like it. That's why, according to this article, when you fart, you actually enjoy your own smell because the intestinal bacteria is something that's familiar to you. I but when you smell someone else's, it like rank. I don't like. <laughs> Have you ever fruit cut yourself? <laughs> just be honest. Have you ever fruit cut yourself? It's just you and I in this car. I've got I've got emergency nipple clamps. Yes. <laughs> I've done it too. I'm not saying you're alone. I've done it too. But it does smell better than someone else's fart. I think all farts smell disgusting. <laughs> Especially mine, man. <laughs> I, I disagree with your story. My, maybe I just, because I've smelled my farts a lot more than other people's. <laughs> so the, basically, by comparison, I've probably smelled like a million of my own farts and only like maybe a hundred of other people's farts. <laughs> and yours are worse. Yeah, as far as I'm concerned, yeah. I, I have to say that I like mine better than the average person's. That's what I have to say. Strange thing to say. <laughs> Can I ask you another question on top of that? Have you ever like dug out your belly button and then smelled that? <laughs> <laughs> I have. That's like a kid question. But it's true. Like you, th there's a smell. Yeah, it smells. It smells just like your crotch or like, like <laughs> toe jam. It's all that. It's all similar. <laughs> Any place on your body, it's sweaty and locked away. It <laughs> smells similar. My point. It has a difference. I'll tell you what, you ever get two fingers deep into your own ass? <laughs> <laughs> On two different hands? Pull that out. <laughs> <laughs> pull that out and suck on it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
Like a little duffel bag kind of. That's not mine. <laughs> That's some dudes. <laughs> Just some dudes. Thank <laughs> you. 
we're, yeah, we're, we're, we're not even out of the fucking city yet. Well, you flipped off like two or three people in our own city, so. So what? Hey, we're cool. I just need time to think about this, right? You need time to think about the conversation we just had? <laughs> I just discovered your buddies, the towel and stuff back there. A towel? Right? And stuff? You have no idea what that stuff is, though, right? You don't. You're, gonna, you're getting grossed out by an incomplete imagined idea. All right? You, you don't know what was in that bottle. All you know was that it was a liquid and the bottle said wet. Yeah. That's all you need. That you should leave it alone. Just don't go there. Yeah, but it's other stuff. And it's like... What do you think is in that bottle? Lube. You think it's lube? Yeah. You think I keep my lube in an old water bottle marked wet? <laughs> I, I don't know. What is it? Then tell me. Like I thought it was lube. What's Look, it was. I can't tell you what it is. All right. <laughs> if it's lube in my book. Fine. So 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 what if it's lube? Then think it's lube. Why do you have lube in four magazines in the middle eight and One, bag? it's not mine, right? It's exactly. dudes. It's dudes. And stop saying Thor magazine. It's a comic book. <laughs> Who's dude? Dude's this. I don't remember. I don't remember dude's name. All right, so I refer to him as dude. That's really unhealthy. That's really unhealthy. What's unhealthy? Having just casual sex. You don't know the person's name. Oh, you know what's also unhealthy? Hey, what's all? What's also unhealthy <laughs> is assuming that I had sex with dude. Oh, so that stuff is just like a friend. I'm holding it for a friend. He left it in my car, man. Look, I didn't. I didn't want to have to tell you this. I'm an Uber driver. <laughs> I've been short. I'm cash, but I'm using my car to do some Uber. You, you've got a new job recently, the copyright, social media. It's not going so well. It's not going so well. So they're making it made of a driving Uber, all right? And some guy left his bag back there. Okay. I just call him, I call him Duke. I don't know who he is, all right? All right.
react to everything. So I'm just, I'm just sorry about that. I'm, I'm vapid. It's okay, man. Uh, 